Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, welcome to Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, methods, best practices, and personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today we have an incredible guest, Andy Parati, who is a friend, um, high-level acquaintance, uh, perhaps friend of mine, um, who I've known for several years now. Um, I don't quite remember where I met Andy, but he is a... Um, really outstanding investigative journalist who's won a number of awards, uh, first working, well, not first, but uh, previously working uh, maybe most notably in Austin, Texas, and now working uh, in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, for uh, the NBC affiliate down there, uh, WXIA. So Andy, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk today and uh, joining the show. Thanks for having me. It, it, this is really cool. I'm glad, so glad you're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun so far and are hoping to keep it going. So um, let's start off with um, telling me uh, a little, just in very brief, you know, a minute or less about your job right now. Where do you work? What do you do? So I'm one of four investigative reporters for 11 Alive, which, as you mentioned, is uh, our call letters or WXIA, the NBC TV station in Atlanta. We um, are a team that has the uh, we all of our investigations appear in a show called The Reveal, which is the country's only local investigative news magazine show, only weekly investigative news magazine show. Our stories air primarily on on that uh, show, which airs once a week, Sundays at six o'clock, uh, and then also in abbreviated, shorter versions in newscasts um, in our regular newscasts at Eleven Alive. And I've been here for just over three years. Very cool. Yeah, that. So it's the, you said it's the only like basically local weekly news magazine show in the country. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy even to say it out loud, but yeah, it's it's uh, we're super super lucky to have this opportunity to do it. We we have been doing it just over a year. Uh, August was our our one year anniversary, so we're already in in within two years working yeah. on our second year. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, I mean, that's great for you guys and I guess kind of sad for the rest of the country that that's the only one. Yeah, but you know what? Everywhere we go, um, like in, you know, conferences and stuff, everyone's asking us how we do it. And so I, I think that other stations are, are trying to do it. I think um, Gray or, uh, TV or one of those other uh, broadcast um, network uh groups i think they're trying to do something similar or already have something in the works by the way i i remember where we met i'm pretty sure we met at an ire convention is that right is that oh, yeah. about right yeah that is 100 right i just don't know which one i don't remember which year yeah. and which city but it's been like god 10 years or almost it seems forever ago that i met you because uh, you i met you before you were in pittsburgh you was right and right. then you've been in Pittsburgh for a hot minute now. Yeah, I was in Pittsburgh for uh, four years. Yeah, over four years. Well, exactly four years um, as a reporter. And then now, you know, four and a half uh, living here. Uh, I grew up here but in Pittsburgh, but um, was away for many years and then came back uh, about four and a half years ago. But yeah, when, when, when you and I met, um, I worked for the Fox affiliate in Connecticut. And I think that we probably met in 2013 in San Antonio at a conference. That sounds about right. Yeah. I think that was probably Yeah, that sounds it. about right. Yeah. And um, I remember one of your first investigations had something to do with, like, it had something to do with air travel when you moved to Pittsburgh. Does that yes. sound about right? And I feel like, I feel like I'm pivoting the car. Now I'm interviewing you. So you, this is how this works. When yeah. other journalists interview other journalists, we end up interviewing each other. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're, you're commandeering that. No, that's totally fine. Um, I mean, the, the beauty of this podcast is, you know, people like talking about themselves in general, and then journalists, uh, usually even more. So uh, it's not hard to get people to talk, but um, including myself. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, that was a great, um, I thought it was a great investigation. Um, you always know it's good whenever the, the PR person for the company you're looking at um, sends you an angry text message the next day. Um, and, and in this case, we actually put that text message on air as well. 
So I remember that. I th- I remember you tweeting it out too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. You, yeah. It, it must have been a good story. It's been years, but for me to just m- remember it, then you know it must have been <laughs> a, a good a good story because you've yeah. done a lot of great work. Thank you. That's an honor that you remembered it. Um, and I actually have to do a big uh, hat tip to our buddy uh, Chris Van Cleve because I actually got the idea for that story from Chris who had done basically the same story but for the national news for for CBS national um, and Chris is now their transportation correspondent I think he's based out of DC but um, Chris you know uh, sent it to a couple of us I think he told us about it at an IRE conference investigative reporters and mm-hmm. editors um, which by the way if, if you are a young journalist listening to this and or if you're someone who hasn't heard of that and if you like reporting, especially investigative reporting, I highly recommend that you start attending these conferences, which are once a year, every June in the city changes each year. It is ire.org. Have to give them a plug since that's where I met you, Andy, and met Chris. But um, yeah, yeah, Chris gave me that story idea and, and really helped me with that. So he's been uh, an amazing mentor, but a lot of people have. But uh, So I have to tip my hat to him. But I localized it and made it a uh, Pittsburgh story which um, that's always a challenge to make something, you know, localize uh, a national story. So you should probably say what keywords to Google, because now everyone's assuming that, you know, we're like talking about this story that they should know. So I feel like we, you need to tell people now, like keywords to search to find the story since we've been talking about it so much. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. So, um, so we will have what's called show notes, um, which will provide links to a lot of the things that we talk about. Um, oh, cool. Okay, but, cool. Um, but yeah, just in general, if you Google uh, probably Bo Berman Essential Air Service, uh, Essential Air Service, um, that story will come up. Um, Bo Berman WTAE uh, Essential Air Service or Chris Van Cleve Essential Air Service and you will see that story. Um, you know, it's funny because on my, I, I left my station WTAE um, in, in May. May 31st was my last day. Um, and it's kind of a long story, the reason why, but we left on great terms and, you know, they were very kind to me and I'm very appreciative of my time there, um, here in my hometown working there. But, um, I had like a little going away party very at the last minute, you know, just people meeting up at a bar for a beer and my boss showed up to it, which was an honor to me. My news director, uh, Jim Parsons, who was an investigative reporter for many, many years, um, has won, uh, pretty much all the awards there are to win. But um, he's now a news director. And so he showed up and he made a joke. He was like, now, I don't normally do this, you know, because it was like midnight on a Friday. Um, So that was cool. But the point of the story is not to just brag on myself, but to say that I put him on the spot and I said, so, Jim, what was your uh, favorite story of mine the last four years? And honestly, I think, you know, he, he watches so many stories and has so many reporters under him that, you know, I think he probably couldn't even remember any on the spot, but he did bring up that same story that you mentioned, the, uh, the oh, airline, wow. the airplane story. He said, I think that was probably the best. So that's cool. That's so really anyway, cool. Um, I guess that story, uh, stuck with people. So thanks Chris for the idea. And, uh, and then thanks to myself for executing it. But, um, yeah, so let's talk about you. I mean, you, um, what's your latest and greatest story that you're the most proud of? Uh, I'll ask you that. Oh, so the past year, two come to mind. One has to do with, uh, I'm calling it the 13th juror. So in Georgia, if um, if you stand trial and a jury of your peers finds you guilty or innocent, uh, if the judge disagrees with the jury's findings, they can actually reverse the jury's verdict by naming themselves the 13th juror and um, ordering a new trial on their own motion. Whoa. It's highly, contra- highly controversial. And up until just a couple of years ago, you know, it was kind of like the unicorn in the legal community in the state that you he- heard about it, maybe read about it in law school, but never actually saw it in practice. And for whatever reason, over the past few years, there's been, I found at least a dozen of these cases and they involve murder convictions that have been reversed child molestation cases, um, all sorts of really fascinating cases that I, you know, you, as a reporter, you think you've heard it and seen it all covering all sorts of trials, like Bo, I'm sure you have. And so when I saw this, it just kind of blew my mind. So I, um, I did, I, that's been kind of the most interesting case. What, and the more that the, I, what was the public response to that piece after it aired? 
I think they were all like, what? <laughs> kind of the same reaction that I had when I heard, heard about it. Like, I didn't think this was a thing. I didn't think this, like, you know, you, our whole criminal justice system um, is reliant on, uh, you know, this assumption that if you go to trial, a jury of your peers will ultimately be the ultimate finders of fact, right? The judge, when the judge orders the jury, um, that's what they say. You're the ultimate finders of fact, and we are reliant on you to come up with a, a verdict. Um, and we've found that that's not always the case, that a judge can simply um, name themselves the 13th juror, order a new trial. And by the way, like in, under Georgia law, at least, does not have to provide hardly any explanation other than they think that the jury got it wrong or that there were errors made in the trial, but they don't have to be specific. And under Georgia law, at least, um, the judge can't be wrong. And so each time that it's, almost each time that it's been appealed, um, the Georgia Supreme Court, uh, at least in capital murder cases, um, has always just sided with the lower court ruling. I, the longer that I do this, uh, this stuff, I find covering the criminal justice system because it is flawed um, is so super fascinating to me. Um, so that's been my most interesting one. And then I uh, earlier in the year, I did a bunch of stories on Department of Juvenile Justice. Um, and if you've been covering, you know, criminal justice for as long as we have, you know that it's DJJ can often be seen as a low hanging fruit because they're inherently underfunded. And it, it, there's just all sorts of problems with trying to handle juveniles in a compassionate way, but also making sure that they pay for their crimes. And, and in Georgia, like many other states, um, there's just all sorts of problems. So we found a bunch of issues with children getting assaulted and sexually assaulted by, um, by corrections officers. Um, long story short, uh, I did so many stories that the commissioner ended up getting fired by the governor. So that was uh, really, really compelling stuff. Um, wow. And I'm still doing stories. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that to me, and this is going to sound weird to anyone listening to this who's not in journalism, but like, and it almost sounds bad, but like sometimes when someone gets fired as a result of your story, that means more to me than, you know, winning an Emmy award or something. I mean, that means that it really made change and, and hopefully positive change. And, you know, journalists can get a bad rap because they think like, sometimes people think we wish evil upon people or, you know, take some weird, you know, strangely journalistically perverted delight in the downfall of others. And I don't think that's the case. Um, I think, you know, the reporting leads to change. And the, the change in this case was that, you know, the oversight, it appears, was that they found this commissioner was doing bad things at the helm, or at least, you know, neglecting the bad that was occurring under their watch. So, um, yeah, that's, that's quite a, quite a thing whenever there's a big change like that, that occurs. So let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, what, what was, what would you say is the, the, in your opinion, the biggest story you have ever covered? The biggest story. Uh, wow. Um, I'd say since at least Atlanta, since moving to Atlanta, I, I did a story where three nurses are now under criminal indictment for murdering a, a man in a nursing home, which, um, again, like just like you were mentioning, I take no joy in knowing that my stories resulted in three people potentially going to prison, but it, it, it was the most impactful and it was the most watched story on our website and on TV for, for a long time. So it's still kind of, you know, crazy to think that my stories or any story that I do could have so such a, a, a big impact on someone's life. Um, so that probably, at least in, in Atlanta, uh, that's been the most impactful, biggest story that I've covered. Yeah. Um, have you ever won an award? Uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate to win some awards and yeah. So what's, what's the, very, what would you say fortunate. is the, the biggest award you've won? Uh, I'd say probably the Peabody. Um, that was really unexpected and uh, I was super grateful for that. And I did, 
I won that working in Austin, Texas, and it, it involved um, uh, a, a story about uh, under what happens basically when you underfund uh, the mental health system in your community or state and the cost of that. And in fact, the, the series or the special was called The Cost of Troubled Minds, um, and which we followed um, some individuals in, in the community just talking about you know how they started and where they ended up and and you know how that cost all of us in the end so that was that was actually the that was a really cool award to win yeah that is i forgot about that and it's coming back to me that you want a peabody but i mean for anyone listening who's not familiar with the peabody um andy peabody awards um andy is being a bit humble right now because that is like pretty much the biggest award you can win in TV and broadcasting. There's also like the, I think like the the Polk Award that might be something different, and then the yeah. the, du, the Dupont, which are also pretty yep. big. Um, but yep. Peabody's pretty much the biggest thing you can win. So congrats to you on that once again. Um, and I mean, hey, I kind of want to win one of those before I die. We'll call it a bucket list thing for journalism, <laughs> um, as an individual or a team. But um, I mean, what was the key to that story that you think made it deserving of a Peabody? I mean, obviously the content clearly is worthy, but sometimes content's worthy, but like it doesn't win an award. So, I mean, what what set that story apart? I, you know, I, I, I'm not the only one that has ever done a story about how underfunding mental health services impacts communities, right? Like I'm far from the only one that's been an issue that has been going on for decades and decades. I think what made at least this one in particularly interesting is that I followed a young, a young woman who was on the streets of Austin, Texas for probably, I think, two decades. Um, and just just profiling her um, and gaining her trust and gaining her counselor's trust to really do an in-depth piece on her. And what made this particular piece interesting is that we went back and found her family before she was on the streets and, um, and you know, out of state. So like we flew to uh, Mobile, Alabama and found her daughter who had, she had not seen in decades and kind of just really putting a face on the, the person before mental health, um, mental illness set in and what happened when she didn't get, get the help that she needed, which ultimately led her onto the streets. And I was just thinking about this the other day, and, and I'm not necessarily proud of this, but when I booked that trip to go and meet this woman's family to, you know, show you know, where she kind of started and came from, I, I, I booked it. And then shortly afterwards, my grandfather died. Mm. I actually didn't go to my, I actually didn't go to my grandfather's funeral because I knew that I wouldn't hadn't because like, I, I like, I knew that my boss wouldn't let me fly unless I did it. So I, I feel really bad about this today that I sacrificed going to my grandfather's funeral. I don't know what that says about me, but although I just really wanted to do this story. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so, actually a really yeah. crazy anecdote about your life. I mean, you know, that, 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 that I didn't know about. Um, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't beat yourself up about it because, you know, it's probably the moments where your grandfather was alive that, that you were with him that were, you know, the most meaningful. Um, number one and number two, Sometimes, you know, you're due, I mean, he would have been so happy. I don't know him, obviously, but I imagine he'd be very happy to know that his grandson won pretty much like the preeminent, you know, journalism award in the entire nation. And, you know, you might not get a lot of credit for that on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, know that there's people out there like me who are in total awe of you for, for winning that. And also for, you know, not, I mean, awards are, you know, this glory thing, but, the more important thing is hopefully, you know, someone saw that story and, and it changed a life or two, um, which is the much bigger deal actually. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it also, it reminds me of athletes, right. Who, you know, you see this all the time where, you know, they'll be like the, you know, their uh, someone dies in their life, you know, their sibling or their uncle or their grandfather and they they have a big game, you know, the night of the funeral or something like that. 
and they, they, they really like wring their hands over what to do. Like, do they go to the funeral or do they play in this once of a lifetime game? Maybe it's the Super Bowl. And a lot of times they play and they say, you know, this is an honor of blank. So, you know, their, their uncle or their brother. So, you know, in, in some sense, I mean, I think, you know, if, if you dedicated that award to your grandfather, that would sort of um, be a nice thing, you know, that, that would sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, I spent I spent a, a weekend with him a couple of months before he passed away, and then I also produced a short little mini documentary on his life uh, just the two years before that. So he definitely was special, and I know that he'd be proud. And and the story also, I was super grateful. And I don't, you know, this means more to me than the award, but it, you know, it compelled the lawmaker to create two different laws that. One, that it increased funding for mental health in Texas, and two, it instituted a law that allowed individuals who went into and got uh, degrees um, which service mental health uh, that they were they got tuition reimbursement. So th- those were two really cool things that came out of that, not just the award. Yeah, that is that is incredible. I mean, that's that's truly one of the biggest honors whenever a story creates a state law. I mean, that is just, you know, that's, you're, you're a change maker if you're doing that. And I would actually rather have that over, you know, any award in the country. Um, that just really says something whenever that happens. Um, and I've only had that happen, I think once, um, it was actually when I worked in Texas as well, but, um, yeah, those are, those are the most, some of the most impactful stories. Um, so let's, let's take a step backwards and for people who don't know you, um, where did you grow up? Where did you, like, what state city did you go to high school in? Uh, yeah, so I was a Navy brat, so we moved up and down the East coast a lot, but my parents uh, settled, uh, just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, so that's where, uh, I went to high school and, um, and then later, uh, college in Columbia, South Carolina. So uh, were one or both of your parents in the mili- in the armed services? Uh, my dad was in the Navy and my mom was one of those rare uh, stay-at-home moms, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah. Um, did that help having a sit, like your mom at home? Like, do you think that she like read more books to you or, you know, like helped with your homework more? Like, did that help? Do you think your life? I think just having them available, having mom available to make every track meet and Cub Scouts and um, yeah, I think that would definitely help. I don't wouldn't necessarily, I don't have any particularly fond memories of them reading next to me. Uh, just, just being a, a around and available. That, yeah. That, that makes a big, help. can make a big difference in your life. So did you, I mean, did you ever consider going into the armed services at all or the, the military or the Navy? I actually did. I was an ROTC my entire high school life. Um, and we'd go to these ROTC military camps during the summers. Um, and I even uh, tried to get into the Air Force Academy. So as some of you may know, like you have to get a congressman to basically kind of endorse you. And, and I believe at the time my congressman was uh, Mark Sanford, who later became <laughs> the governor. And then, yeah, <laughs> so it, people know his sort of backstory. Well, I, uh, in, in, in complete transparency, I could not get an ACT score high enough um to to get in and i so i i didn't get in um but everything obviously worked out because you know the air force academy it doesn't have any journalism classes and i found my passion anyways but yeah right. there was a there was a time where i thought i was going to be this uh you know this military air force officer um but life had other plans for me where did you uh, end up going to undergrad so I started off at Southeastern Louisiana University in Hammond, Louisiana, um, partly because my father's family is all from Louisiana. So I had a lot of family there, and, but also because the school uh, gave me a small scholarship to run cross country and track. And I was one of those kids that after high school, I desperately wanted to go away from home. You know, I, I love my family, but I just wanted to yeah, you know, get out there. And so I did that for two years. And when I was there, I had a friend visit me 
who was going to University of South Carolina and, and said, hey, why don't you come visit? You can see the journalism school. Um, uh, so I did that and I ended up transferring um, to USC and Columbia, South Carolina, which is where I, I finished up and got my degree. Is that the, the Gamecocks? The Gamecocks, yeah. Who beat UGA uh, a little while ago. So they're having a decent, they're having a decent year. Yeah, big upset, big upset. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge shift in my opinion from, you know, someone who's trying to get into the Air Force Academy, which like you said, doesn't even offer journalism classes or program, you know, a a major to someone who's now this award-winning investigative reporter. So when, excuse me, when did that switch happen in your mind that you decided like, okay, I want to be a, you know, news reporter. I mean, you just talk about, you know, in brief your, your, uh, that moment. So I don't know if there was a moment or sort of just a, a realization that it wasn't going to happen because all throughout high school, I did like the morning announcements. I was that nerd that you saw on TV in the morning, giving you the morning news. I came in in an hour or two early before school started every day and did that. But I was also an ROTC too. So I had both sort of loves in high school. And when I realized I wasn't going to get into the Air Force Academy, I just sort of shifted all of my my energy towards journalism um and then because i i think ultimately that's what i really wanted to do i just saw the air force academy as being a, a way to pay for college um and my you know i came from very modest means um middle class family and i was nervous about how i was going to pay for college um, so i think that that's one of the reasons why i felt compelled to apply to you know, get into the Air Force Academy. It would have been an honor if I got selected, and I'm sure I would have, you know, put it 100 percent in. But I think that's where that initial interest came in. Uh, okay, got it, got it. Um, and how important? I mean, if there's a, a journalist li- or an aspiring journalist listening to this who's you know in college, how important is it to actually major in broadcast journalism? I mean, I know that I majored in that, but Sometimes I wonder if I probably, if I could have like just majored in business, but then just done the the student TV club and then kind of had like a more diversified background. So, I mean, I don't regret what I did, but you know, sometimes kids ask that question, like, do I need to major in broadcast journalism? Or what if I go to Notre Dame where it's a great school, but they don't have a broadcast program? What would you, how important would you say that is? You know, I don't think it's, some of the best journalists I know don't necessarily have journalism degrees. They're just good storytellers and truth seekers. So as much as I appreciate my, my degree in journalism, I don't think you have to have a journalism degree to be a really great journalist, in my opinion, just, just find some great people that you think are, um, you know, good people in the industry and, and have some great mentors to kind of hold your hand in the beginning. Um, and I think you could excel, I mean, more so than, than people with actual journalism degrees. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that um, completely. So, um, so you were a runner um, and maybe still are. What's, what's the, what was your distance in high school or college? Uh, so in high school, it's, 5k and then in college I believe is 8k so it's, it's like five miles um you know, for 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 college so yeah i don't even and it's been so long i actually can't remember what my five mile time was i remember my my 3.1 mile time better than i ever did my my college time i wasn't that great too like i that's another reason why i transferred to usc i was like oh this is fun running but when you get lapped by a Kenyan, um, that's never fun. So, but it was, <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> it was, it was cool to be a part of and like kind of check, you know, check off that bucket list, you know, doing a collegiate sport, but I have no, I'm not sad about leaving it whatsoever. Yeah. Was that during an 8k or a, or a 5k? Uh, so my best 5k was in a, uh, in, in an 8k race. So like my, you know, when they give you the, the, the mile times, right. I think I, like my mile time was like 16, 20 something, uh, uh, for my three mile mark within the five mile race. And I, so that, that's, that's my, uh, claim to fame when it comes to running, I guess. 
So probably like five, five, ten miles, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I mean, which, which mm-hmm. one did you get lapped by the Kenyan? Was that during the eight k or during the five k? I'm pretty sure that was a, the thirty two hundred on the track. So we, you know, I also ran for the school's track team in addition to the cross country team. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it happened during the thirty two hundred in the on the track. That's that's a little embarrassing, but. Okay. The, the 3200 <laughs> is that a is that what is that four two miles or uh yeah yep mm-hmm. okay yep. all right well uh that's cool and have you have you as you've gotten older have you gotten into marathons or anything like that you know i've never done a marathon um i've done a half marathon um i i'm part of two different running groups in atlanta one at meets on tuesdays one on wednesday so i'm happy just running with people and you know maybe once a year doing a 5k for fun um but yeah now it's just totally just to maintain fitness it's just i I, I just enjoy doing it and it's less about competition these days yeah absolutely absolutely um i also ran in college but not um at the level that you did I i went to penn state which is a huge school um yeah did the uh the club cross country team um, which was pretty competitive because cool. we had a lot of people that probably could have ran, you know, D3 or D2, but um, just chose to go to a D1 school. Um, so it was it was fun. It was a lot of work, um, but very fun and made a lot of good friends through it. And um, yeah, yeah, we did uh, did a variety of races and held invitationals and stuff like that. So good times. That's awesome. For the uh, Penn State Club cross country team. But um so let me ask you this. What, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? How old are you now? I am 39. 39. So what, what so, advice would you yeah. give to your 25-year-old self? Uh, don't aim for perfection. Just, just do your best uh, because you will, you will agonize and, uh, and it, you just can't be perfect in this industry, you can be, uh, as you know, you always want to aim for the truth and you always want to aim for, um, good storytelling. Um, but I think I agonize way too hard that every frame of video, every live shot, every word had to be perfect. And, you know, we're just as humans, you're not, you're not, you're not perfect. We're very imperfect and in a business that looks oftentimes flawless on TV. I often wanted all of my stories to be flawless. And I think I, I think I suffered because of that. And I think I, some of my friendships suffered for that. So just be, just do your best and, but don't aim for for perfection. That's what I would tell my young 25 year old reporter self and to be yourself too, like to be a hundred percent authentic. I think when uh, I came out, to myself in my mid twenties, I think it became a better, um, a better human being and a better storyteller. Okay, good. Um, yeah, great advice for people um, to to consider. Um, so, um, just real quick. Um, so, how did you, so you went to uh, you know University of South Carolina, and then how did you get on TV? Where did you start in TV, or what was your first job? Where was that? Uh, so my first job was um, in college at WIS TV, the NBC TV station in Columbia, South Carolina. I was a weekend web producer. Um, so that was probably 2010, 2011. Um, and so I did that for several months. And then I ended up working for the Fox station in that in that same TV market where I was the weekend producer, but I also uh, occasionally one man banded. So in my junior senior year, I was on the air on the weekends, one man banding, and then also producing uh, a weekend show. So it was, it was a lot. I was very busy. My, there was no partying going well, what, on in my senior year. <laughs> what year did you graduate from college? Uh, oh shit. I mean, I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to curse. Um, I just real. I think I gave you the wrong. So I, I graduated December 2003. So I, I think I gave you the complete wrong date of when I was. Yeah, I, I was like, I was, been, 
I was trying to do the yeah. math on a napkin here, and I'm like, sorry. I think we're missing 10 yeah. years of his no. life. Yeah, sorry. Uh, 2000, probably 2001, 2002 is when I started working at WIS TV. And then later the Fox. Yeah, that's I just I just skipped over 10 years. <laughs> I, I honestly thought maybe you had this like kind of secret other career life that you just didn't want to talk about where you no, like, took, a, took a swing at the music industry. You were like a singer for a while. And you were just like, that yeah, would be a much better first, interesting story. <laughs> my first TV job was uh, in 2014, uh, just, just four years ago. Um, yeah, but um, okay. So you were there and then, sorry, I, where did you go after that, that first job? So uh, th- from there, then I graduated college, um, and then I moved to back home, Charleston, South Carolina. I was a week. I was a producer for a year at Channel Five. I hated it. I was not good at it. Um, and then I literally went across town to WCBD, the NBC station there, and as a re- reporter there for I'd say almost four years. And then I uh, got a promotion within the company. It was owned by Media General at the time. Went to WSPA in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, was that was my full, t- my first full-time investigative role. Um, then the recession hit, and I got laid off. Me and about 15, 20 others at the station. Uh, and do you want me to keep going? My all my TV stations because it's like this obnoxiously long list. Um, I yeah, just go. Just, I do, but just go fast. Just say the call letters and the okay. city. Okay. WGRZ Buffalo uh, next. After that, um, the NBC station and uh, WBBH in Fort Myers, Florida, and then KVU, uh, ABC in Austin, and then now WXIA in Atlanta. Um. When were you in, uh, how long were you in Fort Myers? Uh, I was there about three years and I was there, I think 2013, 2016. Yeah. Sounds about right. I think. No, that's not right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Golly, I'm no, you, you had to have been Hold in on. Austin then. No. Um, yeah. Cause I left Austin in 2016. So probably 2010. To 2013 ish in okay. Fort Myers, and th- okay. yeah, and then Fort Myers 13 ish to 2016. Yeah, it is amazing how yeah. many really good reporters and anchors have come out of Fort Myers. That that place is just it is unbelievable. I know so many. It's like this weird training ground that uh, has has been good for many people, in my opinion. But um, so you've been all over the place. You, you, you know, South Carolina, uh, Buffalo, New York, Florida, Austin, and now Atlanta. Um, what has been your favorite state to live in? Ooh, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say South Carolina just cause it's home. I think that's the safest answer without offending anyone. <laughs> smart, smart guy. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. Smart guy. Um, so let's talk about fitness for a minute. Um, you are, I've seen some photos of you. I mean, you're in very good shape. I mean, you're like one of those guys who actually has like the six pack abs, I think, um, something I've always aspired to, but can't quite accomplish. What, what's your secret? What do you, what do you do? Uh, twigs and berries during the week and then ice cream and beer during the weekend. I don't know. I mean, I, it, I, I just run a lot and, you know, I try to eat well. I don't try to, you know, overthink things. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm blessed with a mom that's just very petite and, uh, and, and I try to eat well. I, I don't know if there's a magic, I don't know if there's a magic formula to it. I'm just, I just try and yeah, I don't know. I, running probably is the, just running in college and high school. It's, that's probably helped the most. I, I just kind of something that I really enjoy. So you got to enjoy it, I guess. And I kind of enjoy it. I don't, but I try not to, you know, make it a thing like some people in our industry, I think too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what is your typical morning routine like? And by morning routine, I mean, you know, on the average weekday, what time are you getting up? Um, what is the first thing you do? Um, what is the first thing that you drink? What is the first thing that you eat? What time are you getting to work, et cetera? 
so I wake up around six every morning, um, let the dog out, and then I'm usually on the treadmill or some sort of cardio situation by 6.30-ish, 6.45-ish, work out for an hour. I am a big breakfast person, so I cook breakfast every morning while watching or listening to the news. Um, and uh, then I'm usually at work around 9.30. What, what, uh, what news do you watch? Your, your local station there? I watch my local station, and then I also love Gail King, so I'll switch over to Gail King. But uh, yeah. I love my Hoda, and I love my Savannah, don't get me wrong. But for some reason, um, I just love me some Gail King. Yeah, she is uh, a pro's pro and very, um, just very comforting to watch for some reason. You know, just her, her whole style is, is of news is, is great. She's, she's one of those people who just has this like built this amazing level of like credibility, trust and like consistency. Um, and she she feels like a friend. You know, she feels like a family member or a friend to me. I totally agree with you. And, and when she first came on board, I was like, who's this? Like, what's going on? Like, who, <laughs> why, is, why is Oprah's friend now delivering the news? And, um, but within like a very short period of time, I was like, oh, I kind of like this, this woman. She's fantastic. Did, did Gail King have a background in, in like local news or, or no? Yeah, she was an anchor in Baltimore for, for years. I, I think that's where her where she and Oprah met, I, I could be wrong, but okay. I think, yeah, she was definitely in like local news for a long, long time. Yeah. A lot of people forget that, um, Oprah was a local news reporter. Sarah, Sarah Palin was a local news reporter. I think Jerry Springer was yeah. a local news reporter. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, we're in good company. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, a little, a little bit of a list there. I'm sure there's somebody else who did it as well, who we're forgetting, who's, you know, kind of notable, but, um, all right. So let's move on a little bit. Have you used a drone for reporting at all? Like either operating it yourself or having a photographer operate it? Yeah, I love using drones right now. They're our new toy. I try not to overuse them in stories, but, um, I love using drones. We have one at our TV station. I'm not a FAA licensed pilot. Um, but in our company, um, I work for Tegna. They require us to have a visual observer and a pilot, um, for each of our flights. And so I'm a visual observer and it just, you know, it, it kind of adds a different perspective to the story visually. And so if it warrants it, um, I definitely, try to use a little bit of drone video in each of my story. Awesome. Yeah. I, I would love to start doing that. I was kind of like uh, bearish on drones for the longest time. And I don't know what it is just lately. I've become very bullish on them and I've just been watching some videos. I think it's like, I, I, so for the school district I'm working for, you know, I'm starting a video program there for the students and, you know, we, we're very low budget, but we're trying to scrape up some, you know, pocket change here and there to order some equipment. And so, you know, we've ordered like two DSLR Canon cameras and some tripods. Oh, nice. Um, but like literally only two um, tripods and two cameras, you know, and the kids are using their cell phones for now. But, um, but yeah, but we just got a drone that just came in last week. And I am like super, super excited to uh, get it up in the air and, and learn about it and just watching the, the videos about what you can do with it. I mean, it's, they're just like flat out amazing. I don't know why my head was in the sand for so long. It's almost like I, um, I don't know what it was, I, but I, I'm finally awakening. I, I think sometimes when I first saw them, I used the news reports. They were kind of used in like cheesy ways where yeah. you'd see this three, four part stand up. And I'm just like, okay, I, I get it. Like you didn't right. have to do five or six different angles and then end it with this drone shot of the drone flying away from you. Like, at, you know, so at, at first I thought they were kind of cheesy, but if, if used correctly and just kind of like a, you know, a, a, a third eye in a shot, um, I think they can really be beautiful. Um, I, you know, the way that I use them is more kind of like a, a pull cam, not a pull cam, but what do you call those cameras that, you know, like the movies use that kind of 
I don't use them as like I don't want to use them as if like they look like a helicopter shot. Yeah. I like to use them as kind of revealing something um, w- within the story that you normally wouldn't be able to get uh, a shot of. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, the word, think I'm of not the, sure the, the word you're looking for. I mean, I know like if you do a like a pop zoom, that's like a fast zoom out, or maybe you meet like a jib, a jib camera. Sometimes they have yes, in the studio. Yes, yeah, I can. I think of them. You took that's the exact word. I'm. I think of them as like a jib cam. Um, that's how I utilize my drones. Less of the aerial shot because to me it's like, well, if you're going to go to that high, why not just get the helicopter? But if you use them as a jib. I think that's where they can really be impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm excited for, for that, um, to, to use it. So, um, who would you say is the person who, you know, who you view as like giving you your big break or maybe the person in journalism who took the biggest chance on you at some point in time? Probably my first news director, Catherine Bonfield. She's a news director now in Jacksonville at the independent TV station there. And I only say that because when I, a couple of years ago, when I needed to go and look at some of my really old stuff to show some students, I was looking at it thinking, why wasn't I fired? I was so bad. <laughs> and I, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for, for giving me a shot and, and, P.S. Why did you fire me? And she responded, laughing, saying, "I just saw something in you." And that, so that I thought that was really cool. So yeah, and she, 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 and a little bit of backstory too. This is one of the reasons why I actually started out as a producer instead of a reporter. Um, I had so many speeding tickets in college that news directors, TV stations couldn't hire me because they couldn't insure me as a one man band. Wow. So I would, I, I would do these interviews and I, so I technically got hired at, straight out of college at like three different TV stations as, as one man band. And then they'd call me after running like my background check. And, and, and by the way, these weren't like DUIs or anything. They were just like me speeding being, an idiot in college on my way to go like visit friends. And, you know, I was trying to like make a football game in Clemson, you know, those, it it was like stupid reasons. So after like, after the third time where a news director just called me and said, listen, I have to resend my offer because of your driving record. I gave up for a year thinking I screwed my chance. I'll never be a reporter because I was stupid in college. Well, Catherine Bonfield, WCBD in Charleston hires me. Well, they don't do a driver background check. (laughs) And so my first six months that I'm there, I'm biting my nails, praying to God that they don't do a background check or, you know, a a driver's check. And so that's the whole reason why I ended up getting that job is because they just did not do a background check. Wow. Did she, did she ever find out the, the speeding ticket history? I don't think so. Oh, okay. That's, and, you know, I'm happy. We're breaking yeah. some news then on the podcast. That's what I, I know. I, do. I know. No, it's, 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 it's so true. And I, I would, I never lied because I don't lie. Um, but I, you know, I, all I could think about was, I wonder if they made a mistake or maybe they just don't do driver background checks because all these other TV stations did. But this one didn't didn't offer it to me or didn't require one. So I'm thinking to myself, whoa, like I just dodged a huge bullet or or they're going to ask for one any minute now and I'm going to get fired again. I don't know. Right. Right. That is what a story. We've got some great stuff here. I'd, I'd almost want to do like a, a promo. I, I, you know, I, I could definitely do a promo for this podcast episode <laughs> with like that really like dark music and, and, and make you look really bad. <laughs> I'd be like, he skipped his grandfather's funeral. He couldn't get hired oh, because of speeding person. tickets. Andy, yeah. you know, so no, I'm not going to do that though. Cause you are amazing, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, it, you've got some, some great stories here that are, uh, you know, that just tell the story of life really. And the thing, you know, very yeah. real, very real authentic stuff. So I appreciate that. Um, 
So yeah, so Catherine, you said Bomham, Bomham, uh, Bonfield, Bonfield, Bonfield. You know, the, these, Bonfield, yeah. sometimes these news directors get a bad rap or something, and you know they're not always the the fan favorite in the newsroom. But you know, a lot of them have this amazing talent for for doing exactly what she said, which is you know cutting through the noise and seeing you know because a lot of us are bad. I mean, very few people are really really good at their first station. Very few. I mean, in mm-hmm. my opinion, I mean, there's some. There's the exceptions, but I know myself, I was horrible. I also probably should have been fired um, or at least like put on some sort of like training program to get better. But, um, you know, that, pro- <laughs> that, that program, I guess, was just trial by fire. But um, yeah, I mean, I was horrible. Like looking back on it, I'm like, what were they thinking? But again, I think, you know, they have this sixth sense of being able to spot something in people that shows the potential, you know, and it reminds me of Right. I'm, a big, I'm a big basketball fan, but it reminds me of basketball, you know, and they'll spot a kid in 10th grade and a really good NBA scout is like, okay, that's, that's an NBA player. And they might not even be mm-hmm. able to like hit a three pointer or they might be, you know, shorter at that point in time, but a scout can like look at their bone structure and see that they're going to grow seven inches or they can look at their shooting form and be like, okay, the form is good. The ball's not going in, but they have the right form. And it's like, right. you know, I, I think of news directors like that sometimes. I mean, there's definitely swings and misses, but um, the good ones are able to to suss that out and 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 pick people who are who are going to eventually excel. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm super lucky. Super. I mean, we're all lucky, right? Like. Yeah. To, no, absolutely. Doing what we're so, doing. So, uh, yeah. all right. Well, we'll start working um, towards the closing here. So, um, we're gonna get into some the section. It's like rapid fire questions. Um, so you're gonna try to answer you know, as quickly as possible, you know, one sentence answer, a one word answer, um, okay. yes or no. And sometimes I'll prompt you to expand on your answer. So, you know, you're allowed to do that. Um, but uh, so we'll start with this one, which I've never asked anybody on the podcast so far. Um, what's your favorite thing that you've purchased in, in recent memory for $100 or less? Shoes. Shoes, you said? Mm-hmm. What kind of shoes? On. O-N. Oh, O-N. Yeah, like the run it, the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Running mm-hmm. shoes. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, something you use every day, it sounds like. Um, what is something you carry with you every day as a reporter that you see as indispensable, but that might actually surprise people a little bit? Oh. I mean, I was going to say my, sh- my phone, but that wouldn't surprise anyone. No. Um, carry with me every day. Or bring to work every day or have at your desk, something like that. Um, my pocket gimbal. Ooh, okay. I love uh, it. I love it. Yeah. So for people, I, I actually just found out what a gimbal was about two months ago. I, I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't know the word for it. So for people who don't know, what is a gimbal? Yeah, so this one is made by DJI, and it's this small little pocket camera that it essentially just, it, it's so small, it fits in your pocket, but it stays steady, so you turn it on, and it always maintains stability, and you, so you can walk with it, you can almost run with it, and it stays um, steady and um, uh, stabilized throughout the entire shot, um, and this one, the one that I use is, is really small. They make all sorts of sizes um but this one is just really convenient to have in your book bag or your pocket in case you want to in case you see something on the shoot that you want to get while maybe your photographer's busy busy getting or something that you just have a you know something in mind that you want to get on your own so you'll pull out the your cell phone um put it horizontally in inside the the gimbal and then just hold you know start recording and hold the gimbal and, and get a shot that might be used in a story so yeah, they make the gimbals for like your cell phone. The one that I use has a built-in camera in it. Um, oh. So it, I don't need to hook up the phone to it, but the, the phone ones that you're talking about are, are fantastic and just as, um, just as great. What, what, uh, what model is yours? What, what model is it? It's, it's made by DJI. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. But do you, do you know what, what, what model number it is? Oh man, what it's called? Not off the top of my head. Yeah, I'll okay. I'll I'll send you details, but I can't remember. Um, it's about as expensive as a as a GoPro. 
So they're not cheap, but they're not like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Got it. Um, what TV show are you streaming right now on Netflix or HBO or your personal life? Um, designated Survivor. Okay. The uh, Kiefer Sutherland show. Um, yeah. I'm, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I was, I'm totally late to the game, but I just started watching it uh, last week and I'm already on the second season. Nice. Nice. Um, he has a way of making these shows that are very addictive. Like 24 was like that. Um, totally. what is your favorite podcast? Mm, my favorite one. Um, oh, this is going to sound super cheesy, but I like modern love. Okay. That's the, is that the New York times one or? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and Facebook, on the whole, in totality, has it done more good or more bad for the news business? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say, ooh, wow, this is tough. Wow. Uh, I mean, we know that it's done a lot of good. It's also done some yeah. bad. I'm going to say bad. I don't know if this is a popular opinion. I don't know. Like there's obviously some really great things about it, you know, that it, it, it's uh, um, allowing people to share their, their voice uh, in ways that no one ever could. Um, but I also think that's dangerous when sometimes the rhetoric that they're putting out there is false. Um, and there's no real clear mechanism at, at the moment to prevent that. Um, and even Facebook itself is struggling with that. So at the moment, I'm going to say um, leaning towards it's made it worse, but hopeful that we can, can, can get this under control. Yeah. Um, what is one thing you believe that most other people would think is crazy? So, for example, sometimes people say, you know, they think they actually think candy corn is really, really good. While a lot of you know, there's kind of this candy corn hate train right now. Or for me, it's that I actually think ATM fees are okay. I don't mind them because I think that it's a really good tool. Otherwise, I'd have to carry a sack of my money around me around with me all across the world. Instead, I pay two dollars and I can get my money anywhere. So I actually don't mind ATM fees, but a lot of people hate them. Can you think of something that you believe in or you believe, but everyone else thinks is probably thinks is kind of crazy? Oh, um, hmm. <laughs> I, uh, wow. You're going to have to edit this because there's lots of umming and eyeing <laughs> and I, space. um, yeah, I, I um, I'm going to say, um, um, Air, the fee for my American Express Delta Airline miles card. I don't mind the fee because I l love playing the game of getting as many miles as possible. I don't know. It, that's probably a, a weird answer, but it's something that I literally check almost every day, even though it hardly ever changes is the <laughs> amount of miles on my Delta card. It's the most bizarre thing. I literally check it at least once a day, see if it's changed, but most of the time it only changes once a month. Yes. And actually, that brings me to a question I'm going to ask you uh, as the final question once we get done with rapid fire, uh, something that I forgot. All right. But ra uh, wrapping up the rapid fire, if you could have a billboard on the most highly traveled road in D.C., New York, Chicago, Atlanta and Los Angeles, and it could say anything or have any photograph or picture or any message on it, what would you put on it? Be kind. Just be okay. kind to one another. I'm going to I'm gonna steal Ellen DeGeneres' Ellen's um, a message. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be like, you'll be like, be like, be kind to one another in quotes. And then it'll say like dash Ellen DeGeneres also in quotes. And then it'll be like dash yeah. Andy Parati. Um, yeah. Andy quoting yeah. Ellen, um, yeah. which is like the Michael Scott thing on the office. Um, so uh, this is like fill in the blank. We're kind of searching for your like fictional alter ego. So for example, okay. Bo is the blank of journalism my answer is Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism. Um, oh, who would okay. you pick as your character? 
Wow, you you stole a really good one. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, Sean Connery. Ooh, okay. Because I like his voice. Yeah, I, I like his voice. <laughs> oh, yeah. that would be a great reporter track. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, not that I can do it, but um, who's your favorite stand-up comedian, uh, either right now or Dave of all Chappelle. time? Dave Chappelle. Okay. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. What is the best movie about journalism of all time? Um. Uh, the 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 Boston Globe spotlight pre scandal spotlight spotlight I that's a very good one um, when's the next time uh, University of South Carolina football team will make the national championship game this year <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so not this year but uh, I, th- I I'm gonna skip the next question it's about your favorite way to work out I think that's running um, are yeah. you gonna stay in journalism for the rest of your life. Only, I'm going to say yes, only because I have no idea what else I do. Um, so I need you to figure this out for me since you're taking a, a, a sabbatical at the moment from journalism, at least uh, you're, well, you're teaching journalism, but maybe teaching, maybe teaching. It, it, but I think that's still the same thing. So maybe, maybe I have no out. Maybe I'm stuck doing what I like. I don't know. I can't think of anything else. I need you to figure this out for me though. What book have you read the most or given out the most as a gift in your life? I just read Attached, which is um, which I think is fascinating. Um, uh, a Little Life. Uh, I forgot the name of the author. That's been the most impactful book that I've given out to people. A Little Life. Um, and it's called A Little Life. Yes. Uh, let me look it up. All right. So while you're looking that up, um, I think this is going to be our final question uh, of, of the day for, the, for this episode. Um, I've noticed online on your social media that you um, have an affinity for taking a, a camera with you whenever you go on vacation and you put together some very cool um, little you know, mini documentaries of your trips um, using basically what appears to be like a selfie stick and a GoPro and, and editing software. Um, and I've really enjoyed those and I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of inspiring. I'd, I'd like to do that myself. I'm, I'm not sure if I have the work ethic to put in that effort while I'm on vacation, but I would love to do that. Um, I think one of them was in Brazil, which was, um, awesome. But, um, so the question is, um, you're usually, I think you've been pretty open that you've, um, traveled solo a lot which I know is like a thing in the world that there's like almost like a community or a cult of people who like to actually travel alone I have a friend named Ben Klein who does a lot of solo travel sort of intentionally Um, it's not that he doesn't have friends it's that he chooses to do that so let me ask you why do you uh, travel solo it's just therapeutic for me it's I can wake up at any time and go to the beach or I don't know, there's something about, it sounds like a cliche, but you do kind of find yourself uh, when you're the most farther, farthest away from home. Um, and so I, I kind of really just like doing it. I, I love traveling with people, don't get me wrong, but you're right. Over the past couple of years, I have been traveling alone and, and, I, and I really love it. And I still go back to some of those places with, uh, with a travel partner. Um, but I, it's just something about being there and being lost in a, a foreign country, foreign city, um, for a few days. That just sounds that, that just brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, absolutely. And where, where would you say is, is do you have a favorite place that you've traveled? Um, I, I, I liked Brazil a lot. I, I really liked Peru. Um, I really, I'm really liking South America right now. I just think it has uh, so much culture um, and the food's really good too. Yeah. Uh, so very, do very, it. Very good. Yeah. Um, I've never been to South America, so I would love to do that. Um, going to be going to Mexico City coming up in May, um, which is not. Oh, I love Mexico City. All right. Well, I'll have to get some uh, advice from you whenever we're offline here, but. Um, yeah, I've never been there. I've been to Mexico, but not Mexico City. So looking forward to that. But definitely want to go to South America. It's been uh, a bucket list destination for me uh, since I was in high school is, uh, is Peru and uh, Machu Picchu. Um, and I, I, I want to do you it the right go. way. 
and, and take, uh, yeah. you know, do, do it the long way, the, the big hike and, and camp essentially and do it, do it the right way. So hoping to do that uh, sooner rather than later, but we'll see how things um, shake out. So, um, all right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your day to uh, be a part of the reporter podcast. Um, I'm hopeful that you'll be able to um, share your episode link on all of your social social media outlets, um, social media avenues that you have, and uh, hopefully you can share it with your uh, your former news director who's now down in Jacksonville, and she'll. <laughs> hear her, hear her uh, shout out and, and some of the other folks who are mentioned on this um, podcast as well, this episode. So, uh, hey, if people want to find you online, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? What are your uh, handles? Uh, so my Twitter, is, which I'm most active on, is at Andy Parati. And then Facebook, it's Andy Parati-Reporter. And Instagram is at Reporter Andy. Facebook is Andy Parati dash reporter. I believe so. And Instagram is, would you say reporter Andy? Reporter Andy. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good handle. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks again. Bro. This has been great. I really appreciate you inviting me. It's an honor. And um, I think just highly of you. And I think what you're doing, giving journalists an opportunity to, show their human side, I think is, is great, especially in this era that we live in. Yeah, we, we are humans, believe it or not. So um, getting a chance to, <laughs> to show that off. So yeah, hey, thanks again, man. Um, and uh, we'll be in touch. I got to email me your, uh, your Mexico City recommendations. That'd be awesome. Yeah, you got it. Okay, take care. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.